Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. And I'm delighted to be joined this week for the Thursday interview by Catherine Fulvio. Catherine, how are you? I'm in great form. Thanks for having me, Kieran. No, listen, it's great to see you. Um, are you looking forward to Christmas? Can't wait. It's my favourite time of the year. Oh, is it? You're oh, one of absolutely. them. Oh, absolutely. You see, my background is I grew up in the bed and breakfast at Ballynockin House that my mum started. Mm. So we've been over 50 years uh, offering accommodation. So my childhood was the fun of having all the guests staying over the summer, helping mum in the kitchen, cooking three meals a day and so on. But we were closed at Christmas. When did you close at Christmas? We used to close well, just after Halloween and then mum had her jobs, she'd do the accounts and so on. Mm. And Christmas was absolutely 100% downtime. So it was the time when you could see, because mum worked very hard, you could see her absolutely chill. Dad was the farmer, you could see him totally relax. And it was such a special time always and I've continued it to this day. And so when does the food prep begin in your house now? I imagine this is kind of a military operation, is it? <laughs> no, not at all. It's chaotic. Yeah, no, it's not. As chaotic as everyone no, else. <laughs> no, it's not chaotic, but um, the food prep starts on Christmas Eve. Okay. So, Charlotte and Roan are now 19 and 20, so they are well able to manage okay, a sharp knife. Yeah. And on Christmas Eve, I get all of the kind of boring jobs. I wouldn't say they're boring. I do like chopping and slicing and dicing, but it's not that fancy. It's not mm. really sexy work. So, I get all of that done on Christmas Eve. I'd make my cranberry sauce on Christmas Eve all the spuds peeled, all the veg done, everything ready to go. I don't cook the ham now until Christmas Day. I'd have the stuffing made and in the fridge. Do you put pork in the stuffing on Christmas Day? No. No. Oh, no, sorry. I do put a bit of smoked bacon. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I have recipes for sausage meat stuffing, but I tend to... Too much going on, isn't there? Uh, yeah. I think, well, that, it's a meal in itself. Yeah. So I like I like my stuffing with just a pan fry off a little bit of bacon and then I start building up the flavours. Lots of herbs from our herb garden, loads of lovely thyme and a little bit of sage. I put in diced apple, maybe some cranberries. Oh, lovely. Some, do you know what's really nice in a pudding? Diced parsnip. Diced parsnip? Yeah, it roasts down with the apple and it's so good together. And then finish nice. then with the um, breadcrumbs. And then I bring it together. Mum used to always put milk in it. And then somebody in the cookery school said to me, milk in stuffing? And I'm like, it works. So now I've upgraded to apple juice. Oh, <laughs> so. very good. Um, so that's that, that all begins at Christmas Eve. But I mean, the build up, do you enjoy December? You know, some people kind of find it chaotic or anything. You don't. No, I love I, it. I love it. I love I love the little the shopping, the little bits. And yes, I tend to be a bit busier in December than I would be, say for example, in November. Mm. But you just plan for it. I I love the whole ambiance, the atmosphere, the food, I love the flavours of the food. So everything all adds up to just a very joyous time. Did you like because your kids are uh, Santa now has moved on to the younger neighbours. Yes. Doesn't come down the chimney anymore in your house. They're beyond no. that. But the elf on the shelf shows up every oh, now really? and then and he's very rude. Okay. Yeah. Still, he's still one of those. Yeah, he's a bold teenager. Well, the one they, I have. most of those elves are fairly mm. mis badly behaved, if you ask me. I mean, Santa needs to crack the whip a little <laughs> bit. Um, but do you miss do you miss the that, that side of Christmas at all? Oh, yes. Yeah. The excitement of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there was one particular year, my two children, when they were younger, um, they managed to get their hands on two phones with cameras and they videoed Santa coming up the stairs. No way. In the middle of the night. Yeah. They had set the phones up. They got Santa's feet walking past. Incredible. Uh -huh. Yeah. Incredible. About seven and eight. That's mm. I'm you probably shouldn't have shared that now. There's gonna be kids up and down this country trying yeah. to get 
phones off their parents and set up traps. Caused great mirth on Christmas Day. I'm Granddad sure it was did. keeling over laughing. It was uh, very funny. Um, you mentioned the the business, the family business going up. And it's funny because you're, you're in the family business, you know. You kind of came back to it circuitously. You kind of went off to do other stuff, though. Oh, I'm telling you, listen, I think it happened in most Irish national schools. I managed to skip a class in national school, which meant I was younger than everybody else. So I was 16 doing my leave insert. I was 16. You skipped a class in primary school? Ah, yeah. We were short a teacher in our national school, so I had to jump a class to keep the teacher. No way, really? Oh, yeah. And I've heard loads of people doing that since. Yeah, so 16 doing the leaving, 16 in a flat in Dublin. I mean, wow. who would let their kid go to Dublin at 16 nowadays? Like, I wouldn't, but I did anyway. And uh, I was in UCD. I was studying German and Irish. Because I'd cooked breakfast, lunch and dinner with mom through my whole, not say childhood, but like it was busy in the bed and breakfast. And I loved it. Mm. But I wanted to express myself. I wanted that freedom. So mom let me go off to Dublin and stay in Dublin with my friends. It was wonderful. Mm. And when, then went to work in Germany. I was always going to be a teacher. I wanted to be a secondary school teacher. And that was the plan from early on? Yes. 100%. Yeah. Well, actually, no, I'll be honest. Um, I actually wanted to be a national school teacher, but then I had to do the audition and sing and that didn't work out all that well. So, um, <clears throat> so secondary you school teacher... You was, had to sing? Yeah, you had to sing and play a musical instrument. No way. It's part of the audition to get into God, the college. A lot of, a lot of primary school teachers yeah. at the moment, thankful they You should have heard me anymore. on the piano according to the dawning of the day. I only <laughs> realised years later that it was a much faster tune. <laughs> but yeah, so I was in UCD and... Um, uh, went off to Germany for a year because I was studying German and I was teaching English in Germany and came home and said, I'm not teaching. There's no way I'm teaching teenagers. Not happening. So I worked uh, after college in the bank for three years and then went back to college and studied PR and then worked in a PR company for a number of years and then ended up working in a beautiful country house hotel where I was in charge of organising cookery classes and marketing and sales and I was in my element because it was about food mm. and it was homegrown Irish food and I had landed on my feet and then I knew where my heart lay. I knew it was in the hospitality business 100%. And when you were doing all the other stuff, when you went from you left the teaching behind, the plants were teaching behind, you went to the bank and then PR, like... Had I been talking to you then, I mean, would you have described yourself as kind of still trying to find your feet or find your way in the world to a degree? Definitely when I was in the bank. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. And then um, one of my jobs in the bank was in sales and I thought, oh, this is interesting. And then I started to hear a little bit about more about PR and it was a big thing at the time though. Like, I mean, I won't reveal my age, but it was a big t- thing because my mum said to me, you're leaving, you're leaving a pensionable job. yeah. Like, that's as good a job as teaching or being in the Gardaí or anything, Catherine. You, you can't do that. But I did because it wasn't for me. Yeah. You know, I, I it was a grand job, but it wasn't my passion. And did you feel, I mean, when you did that then, I mean, had, did you kind of feel a sense of weight lifting from your shoulders or were you nervous about what you were facing into? What was the, the, no, the mood? I was excited. Okay. I was excited to be studying something that I knew I would really enjoy. And I really did. I absolutely loved it. And then to find myself then working in a country house hotel with food associated to it, it was coming full circle. And then, Kieran, what happened was sadly my mum got cancer and she was quite young and she passed away at 57. Oh Dad was busy on the farm. Yeah. There was bookings in for the following year. And there was nobody to run the bed and breakfast. Now, she called it a B&B, but it was three meals a day. Yeah. Do you know, she was walking holidays with picnics and full dinners in the evening, three course, four course dinners. So I left my job and came home to the family business. And that's when I 
then went off to study um, cooking in more detail and then came back and opened up my cookery school in the old milking parlour of the farm. And um, when you came back, was the plan that, well, like, I mean, I'm just going to kind of help dad out of a hole or we'll, we, we'll see how we go here for a while or, you know, was there a sense? Oh, no, I have to kind of, did you feel a sense of, a duty. How do I it? Yeah, duty to your mm. mother and to her memory maybe to keep going at it. There was a bit about there was you have to understand it was our livelihood for so long like all my childhood it was our livelihood it was even more than duty there were people booked in for next year it would never have occurred to us to cancel mm. and they were flying in from maybe Austria or France and like groups of people coming walking groups but never dreamed of saying to them oh sorry now there's a change in the circumstances um, they would have known because we got letters from from them all and I think one of the hardest days I had that following year actually was um, these ladies that had come every year to see mom and do a walking holiday and they came back after mom died and I had taken over and was running the business to the best of my ability but they wanted me to take them to her grave. Oh God. And then okay. I had to take photos of them at her headstone and I I was horrified. I th- it was the most horrendous day of my life because it really dawned on me she's actually gone. Yeah. She's really, really gone. And these people are coming to honour her grave. People that I never met in my life. Yeah. And it was really tough. I don't know, it was just, it was a tough time that year after mum died. We were still quite young, you know, all of us. Yeah. Four kids and we, we were quite young and dad was young as well, like running the farm. So, yeah, it was all, unexpected. All kids as well, to a degree, you kind of imagine your parents only existing within your your orbit. You know what I mean? Like that's their kind of, their function is just kind of yeah. <laughs> servicing you and yeah. serving you. Yeah. Um, and it's all it's, it's always a bit strange, probably a moment like that, where these people you've never met, you know, yeah. uh, like she was in their orbit as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she was a part of, she was part of the kind of the tapestry of their life. And Absolutely. you didn't know anything about them. And they were crying there. And I'm like, what are you crying for? She wasn't your mother, <laughs> yeah, kind of in my yeah. head, which is for all the wrong thought process. Very selfish of me at the time. But, you know, that's what grief is, isn't it? Yeah. You know, but yeah, so then we picked ourselves up and um, I upgraded the farmhouse to a four star guest house and converted the milking parlour into a cookery school. And that is really when I feel my career took off. It's where my my world opened up. I absolutely love every second of what yeah. I do there. I adore it. it. it you, you probably, like in hindsight, and it's easy to say this, like all, you know, all retrospective analysis is expert, as they say. Um, but the, the time off doing other things probably made you. In that, I wonder, was there a danger had you kind of finished school and said, I'm, I'm going to stay here and we'll just work on the business, that you'd have got to a certain point and just felt, oh God, like I just feel claustrophobic here. I haven't seen anything of the world. What if this is not for me? You are so right. I would have burnt out very quickly because I was kind of burnt out by the time I decided I was going to Dublin. Okay. Um, but I would have burnt out quickly and I wouldn't have got any new ideas. I wouldn't have seen what else is happening out there. And I think if you want to grow your business at all, you need to always keep your eyes wide open. Mm. You need to go and see other places, taste other foods, see what other operations are doing, see other countries and see how they approach their food and their cookery school business. And that's where you get ideas and that's where you obviously bring your own to it. But you have to see the bigger picture in order to grow your business. And the business today, I mean, you you mentioned... Say Ballynockin, you've got it's a beautiful book in front of me, A Taste of Home, the Ballynockin Cookbook. Um, people will know you from television. Uh, the States as well is a big market. Yes. I So I have um, 
a TV series on a channel called Recipe.tv, which I kind of thought was, oh, that's interesting. And, and then they told me only recently 50 million people watch it. And I'm like, well, that would explain it. Because most of this summer, from 7am onwards, as soon as the flights were landing in Dublin, I had people arriving at my door going, oh my God, Catherine, it's you. <laughs> so it's been that's wonderful. Funny, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's been fantastic. It really has. And also the show I made for RTE, Taste Like Home, is on Amazon Prime in the United States. So we've a whole fan club from the US, which has been fantastic because there's people coming from every walks of life over in the US to see us this summer and to experience like little private cookery classes and to stay with us. It's been wonderful. And is that, is the success of that, is it based on the Irish American thing over there or is there just a growing sense that, you know, kind of Ireland Inc. has a good food reputation now as well? I think it's Ireland Inc. Um, I, my feedback from the guests coming over from the US is they love the idea of Ireland. They love the homeliness of it. Mm. So my TV show is called Catherine's Farmhouse Kitchen. They love the concept of the farmhouse. They love the fact that I'm out in the gardens picking the fruits, the vegetables, the herbs. If A lot of them actually would say their grandmother used to do that or they would have experienced the farms as ch- children but now they're in the cities. Yeah. So there's that romanticised idea of Ireland and what we're doing in Ballynockan and also to see such good, healthy, natural food been put out in front of them. They love that too. And also it's showing that Ireland's a lot more than just potatoes which is what a lot of them think we are. So I mean, do you have to, do you have to ham up any elements of it then for a US audience? You know, any of the, any of the characteristics? You're not starting each with like top of the morning to you or anything like that. No. Oh, Begara, look what I found here in the garden. <laughs> There's the odd one that'll come in the door and go, top of the morning to you. And you just nod and go, same to you. Because <laughs> you're just too embarrassed in front of all your colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, most of them are, you know, have a very sophisticated understanding of Ireland, I have to say. Um, there is still the misunderstanding of the corned beef and cabbage and that about Irish food. And I think we, we you and I spoke about that before yeah. at the ploughing, didn't we? Yeah. We were saying, no, we're not that anymore. But they're always amazed at the quality of Irish food and yes. the freshness of it and the other thing they say about our beef because Irish beef is all grass fed and in America you can't get grass fed beef unless you pay a massive supplement for it yeah. they can't understand how it's so um, economical to purchase in Ireland when I tell them the price of the beef per pound here Yeah it's incredible yeah. it is funny because yeah, you and I have spoken about it before I mean and it, it's the ingredients really that's kind of driving that change in reputation isn't it like yeah. the, the quality of ingredient as opposed because that's often the criticism people say what's you know, what's the dish that you point to in Ireland like you know, they can in other countries? And, uh, you know, someone now will text in and say coddle. And keep, save your... Don't text in and say coddle. I'm not uh, entertaining the idea of boiled sausages. But um, um, it's the ingredients that are the quality here, really, isn't it? It's the fresh ingredients and yeah. how we cook them. And they, the main thing they say is the food tastes so Fresh. Mm. It's so colourful. It's so vibrant. It's all our use of herbs. Even for us now, Ballinockin is the use of edible flowers that make it a little different. It's all how we bring our flavours together. They feel it's not complicated cooking, but very good quality cooking. And I think that's what good food should be. It should be really good quality. It doesn't need to be hugely complicated. Actually, speaking of Ballinockin, I was there. I was there. I still haven't quite got over you picked Chris Donahue as being a better cook than I was on the day Catherine but you remember anyway. that of course I remember it Catherine I carry it to my grave alright <laughs> and you're never going to be forgiven for that anyway anyway I'll get over it someday possibly um, 
I mean, it, like, is it just individual booking? Like, is that still, it's still like the, the couple come over from the States? Is that the kind of the main business? Yeah, there is a bit of that, but we've changed our business model um, through demand. Um, owing to COVID, a lot of private parties come to us, like hen parties, retirement oh, parties. Right. They take over the whole place. They book a cookery class. They might stay two nights. We'll cook dinner for them. And you know what? It is the nicest job in the world because for me, there's a party every weekend and I'm part of it. Oh, that's nice. Oh, it's so nice. And they're like, oh, Catherine, sit down and have a drink with us. And I'm going, I'm supposed to be working. I go on, sit down and have a drink. We love the chat. Yeah. Honestly, Kieran, it's the, it brings me such joy. And, it, you know, you would think... I've been running this business now for 20 odd years. You think maybe I'll get tired of it. Not in a million years. I absolutely love every moment of it because the people that come to us are so beautiful and so gorgeous. It's wonderful. Ah, well, that's nice to hear. And listen, it's been great to see you. And thanks, you brought in, I mentioned the book, A Taste of Home, The Ballynock and Cookbook. And I know you're a brand ambassador as well with uh, Aldi. So, um, you know, plenty of uh, plenty of what is in this book I will be able to buy there. Uh, it's been great to see you. Happy Christmas. And the same to you, Kieran. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.